Hello, and welcome to the Foolish Gents Filmcast, the official podcast of Foolish Gentlemen Films. My name is Max Pava. And I'm Jake Rubin. And today we're going to be talking to you about a few shows that we're watching, and then I think our featured things are going to be uh, the pilot of Baz Luhrmann's The Get Down for Netflix. Uh, it was long enough that we're just doing the pilot. And then uh, Sausage Party, the yeah, new the... Seth Rogen movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, Which, let's... What, he didn't direct it, though. No, he didn't. So this is really funny, and maybe we'll get into this when we talk a little more. The directors of Sausage Party, the R-rated film, almost, could have been X-rated film about They're kids, food. They're kids' film directors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, guy, the guys' top credits... You know that that credits, had to be a blast for them. Of course. I mean, one of the guys' top credits was, like, Thomas the Tank Engine movies. Yeah. And the other guy worked on, like, you know, different DreamWorks animations, whatever. So, yeah, exactly, like... They, they got to totally take their their mold and just, just it reminds, fuck it. It reminds me of those people in, like, Disney who are, like, the, the renegade artists who are like, no, I'm sneaking a penis into this drawing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll get to that. I thought that was crazy. But Rogan did, and Goldberg wrote it um, mm-hmm. with, I think there was another writer on that as well. But cool. um, we know their work, obviously, from This is the End, Superbad, Preacher, as of, as yeah, of late. Yeah, yeah, so. recently. Um, but anyway, why don't we just quickly, I know we both have kind of, you have a show, I have a movie, I just want to do a quick shout out for, um, yeah, take it away. Okay, cool. I'll go for it. Um, so recently I saw Don't Think Twice, which is Mike Birbiglia's first movie as a writer and director. Um, Mike Birbiglia, great stand-up comic. You might know him from Trainwreck or Orange is the New Black. And this movie is about an improv troupe in New York. And what happens... It's an awesome cast. Oh, it's an incredible uh, cast. It's Berbiglia, Key from Key and Peele, Gillian Cannon, Kate uh, Gillian Jacobs. I went to a high school with a girl named Gillian Cannon. Um, Gillian Jacobs, Chris Gerhart. And Kate McCucci from uh, Garfunkel Notes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it's a really stellar class uh, cast of comedians, and it's about what Chris happens... Chris in there, too, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I was like, everybody's in that movie. Yeah, dude. Um, and it's about what happens when one of them gets plucked up to fictional SNL. Um, Do they have a funny name for that? Yeah, so I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but oh, okay. it's it, I'll just it's called Weekend Live. Oh, it's like, and is it like Friday Night Live? Yeah, yeah, it's Weekend Live, <laughs> and I would say this is an overall hilarious movie. But the funniest moments in the movie are when you get a little sneak peek into the life of Weekend Live, and there's like they do the whole like it's Weekend Live, and you see <laughs> them doing. I, I don't want to spoil the joke, but like. That's hilarious, and you see a musical performance at Weekend I'm Live. Take a stab in the dark here that those bits involve some cameos from other actors, or there are a couple yeah. cameos in there. Yes, um, but not only is this movie, you know, funny, it um, I think it should be required viewing for anyone who goes to art school or a conservatory. Oh damn! Or anything like that because it deals with. Um, Jealousy, Jealousy yeah. <laughs> and um, humbling yourself in a way you don't see often. And, and, you know, it's really about how people deal with the success of others as you spend more and more years really, like, as a starving artist and trying to make it and how some people are able to give genuine support. Some are clo- have closeted jealousy. Some have very outward jealousy. Um, and what that does to people. And, you know, what happens to people when these pressures arise? It's like you can do improv with your friends, but what happens when you have a studio exec down your throat telling you that if you don't come up with a good sketch, you're going to get fired? Um, One thing I thought that looked really interesting about that movie is that those are all comedians who have been through that stage already and have gotten past that. And the fact that they're older now playing what they probably did when they were younger kind of makes it look a little sadder. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I mean, all these characters are... 30 to 35 and you know we're 25 
and already we're starting to see people kind of you know start to have their careers launch a little bit and how that affects people oh yeah i mean i felt like though you could see that same thing on a microcosm when we were in school and the the list for the play went up or someone so cast a movie and this was who was in it like uh exactly this is just what happened um and and so for us people in the arts it obviously pulled on a lot of heartstrings and was very easy to connect to um but i think even if you're not in the arts there's a lot to connect to it's really fucking funny it um Hits on a bunch of layers. If you know the improv scene, like there are a lot of great jokes in there. But even if you don't, I think like everyone's been to an improv show and can understand the inherent comedy and those nights in a dark theater where there are assholes shouting suggestions and all of that. Um, The cast is just fantastic. I'm really excited to see what Birbiglia does next. Um, He really did a great job with this movie. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of people don't really know about it. Um, so I hope if you're listening, you go out and see it. It's one of my favorite movies I've seen this summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to catch that before it leaves theater. And I'm also, I got my eye on Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, I want to see that one too. And the, the other thing I'll say. I, I have not been on my coming of age movies this summer. I know. Because I missed Sing Street also. Yeah, which, which now is. Those, those are my main so, jams. Sing Street's on iTunes now too. Yeah, I know. The summer is all about the indie coming of age that's, movies. That's like, my favorite time of movie yeah, season. Dope, like, Kings <laughs> of Summer, like all a bunch. Spectacular Now was yeah, a couple years ago. They've, the, there's been a, there's a been hot good, streak. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl was last summer. Yeah. Um, but one more thing I want to say about this, and, you know, I'm, I'm someone who treats a lot of things with humor. And what I mean by that is if someone's sad, I'll try to make a joke. If someone dies, maybe I'll try so to make you, a so joke. you appreciated that about this movie? Or? Well, I, what I appreciate about it is that it really looks at when that's appropriate and when it's not in, like, <laughs> a, in a really subtle way. Like, it, it's not outwardly making a statement about that. But there are a few times in the movie where something serious happens and someone makes a joke and you can see everyone kind of take the joke, but you can see when they take it in a good way and when they're also just like shrugging it off and when it's not. So I thought that was a really interesting commentary on that. Um, Cool. Go see it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So I started watching but have not finished uh, Last Chance You, which is a a Netflix docuseries. And I mean, I'm just going to say, like, before I even get into what this show is, just know that, in my opinion, Netflix is like top-notch documentary filmmakers. Like, the short game, which was about, like, seven-year-old golfers was a doc they made a few years ago that was one of the most entertaining documentaries I've ever seen and was not a subject I thought I would have any interest in. Um, They just really know how to construct a a narrative, and they they took this university where they kind of struck gold, where it's a community college, and I I think they're in Mississippi. and uh, it's basically like a, a halfway house for people trying to make it to D1 college football, where it's either their grades weren't good enough, they got in some kind of controversy, they're already at a D1 school and they're not getting enough play, so they want to build up stats. And um, it's just an examination of like, a, they, they do a season and a semester, and it's only like six or seven games. And uh, it's, this, it's six episodes, so I'm pretty sure we're going to see every game by the time it's done. And uh, man, is this entertaining. Um, they, they struck gold because they just found characters that, with this that are larger than life. Uh, the, the coach is like uh, Kenny Powers. It's like Danny McBride in uh, Eastbound and Down. Like, he, he yells at obscenities like that. Like, there's one time where he, like, walks into a halftime, you know, pep talk in the locker room, and he's like, cameras move, cameras move. And these guys are just, like, tracking through the <laughs> locker room with him, and you know that they're, like, they're not listening to anything he's saying, but it's, like, it's so funny to watch this guy just, like, throw his weight around and, like, He's apparently got, like, he's got a huge record of being a great coach, but he's got a hilarious style when you're looking at it on the outside. And um, 
they have this like woman who's kind of like the secret hero of the piece that's their academic advisor that's trying to help all of these students that are terrible at school but great at sports like qualify for d1 schools and her stories are sometimes like heartbreaking and like they take an episode that that was the last one i watched where they like go into her home life mm -hmm. and uh that's kind of what's cool about this series is like one episode they'll follow the janitor and they'll just go home or like they'll follow one of these kids to go visit their family and then you'll see what that guy does on his day off and uh it's a lot of these little like smaller things, but like the the characters they found are just so good. There's the hot shot kid that came from the D1 school. There's the kid who's uh this is it's a long shot for him to make it out of here, but you know, he's got a lot of like heart and talent, but he can't, you know, get it together in the classroom and it's just really entertaining and um there's kind of some twists. I don't want to ruin anything, but like there are unexpected twists that come out of this that you just won't see coming. Yeah, I mean what I'll say is I've, this has been on my uh, queue for weeks, but if we have Jake here endorsing sports content and not and it's not me, that means it's even greater because I'm, I'm yeah. quicker to endorse it as, a, as the sports buff I am. Well, and what's cool is like when they shoot the games, they are shot so cinematically that it feels like you're watching something like Remember the Titans, except for with kids who are unbelievably good at the sport. What, so, Ryan Gosling didn't cut it for you? <laughs> Well, I mean, but it's one thing when it's it's staged plays versus wow, this kid just took off, and I cannot believe that yeah, happened. Like, totally. Um, well, I think it, I think it's it's um, they took advantage of a real cool opportunity by doing a D three school because I always find it interesting with sports docs, like what happens when you put the cameras in a locker room, and I think a really good example to draw is Hard Knocks, which just started its whatever fifteenth season. I don't know. They're following the Rams now. And I, what I find always really funny about that show is, like, it's really important for these NFL players to protect their image when the cameras are in. So for them, I think it's really, um, there's a reason the Patriots and some other teams that succeed all the time do not let the cameras into their locker room. Yeah. It changes the personality of it. But when you're looking at a school like the one in Last Chance U where they really have nothing to lose, well, I feel like you get a much more honest um, look at what the culture is there. They got lucky too, because the main coach is not camera shy and he does right. not filter anything because there's a camera there. You can kind of tell that the there's certain like players that are a little more of a ham that are like, oh, I got a camera on me. But like those moments come and go because they, they followed them through a whole semester. So there's inevitably times where it's like this one guy's bored in the corner of the room and they're just talking to them in their dorm while they're hanging out. Right. Like, <laughs> um, and it's also, uh, is, um, do you know if like the NCAA or anyone has like a producing role in that? You know, I did not check the credits for that. Um, there is a thing where like uh, an NCAA scouts start like playing a role in it and stuff, or, or scouts for other schools. And yeah. like, uh, there's, there's one thing where like they ask the kid a question. He's like, "Well, there's camera," and he's like, "Listen, our college follows NCAA rules. You can't like, ask for anything." <laughs> yeah, <'cause, laughs> it's really silly. It's but... always the same for me with like hard knocks and other things where it's like produced by the NFL Network, and you're like, "Okay, this is a product for them." Um, but I feel like that's less gonna be less the case with Last Chance here. Yeah, I I think it's really just to explore this little like uh, it's just a great sports doc because it's people who are underdogs already. Yeah, <laughs> but then. Their school has a reputation for winning by, like, 50 points. So they're the bad guys to every team they play. And that also creates an interesting dynamic. That's cool. I'm definitely excited to check that out. Um, great. So why don't we quickly talk about The Get Down, uh, the newest Netflix uh, beast that's launched. I mean, it's getting a lot of coverage. Netflix is having a good summer. 
Netflix has been killing it for years, man. They're, but the, they're just but like on they, fire right now. But they're <laughs> dominating the conversation this summer in the way that they, they have not before. You, you know, it's, it's interesting that they put this out. I would love to see Netflix do a show week to week because I think that's what stops their shows from being able to do water cooler stuff because people like that. I can talk about it this week and then next week we got another little like snippet to talk about. As we're with Netflix shows, it's like, well, how far are you? Where are you at in it? Let's have a conversation about this one scene or that thing. And like, you don't really get to enjoy it culturally in the same way as like a Game of Thrones. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but it, they are having a great summer. They're having a really good summer. And part of that has to do with like the box office failures, you know, that we've talked about. Whereas things like Stranger Things and The Get Down are much more fun for people to talk about than, well, I guess a lot of people are talking about Suicide Squad. Well, so here, here's the other thing, too, that, that gives them a bit of an advantage. Because they're not on actual TV, the way they're... I mean, and they don't have to release the ratings either, so we don't actually know how many people are watching what, but my understanding is that they're going after a niche crowd with everything. Because if they fill one audience group, then they're subscribers, and they're getting the same amount of money. So when they make shows, they're allowed to be so like so pointed as this is a sci-fi horror and um, or this is a Boz Lerman production. And, and I think that that is really exciting. I mean, this is this is where you're getting new ideas that people are playing with. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, speaking of what you were just uh, talking to about, hey, how far are you? How far are you? I've only seen a pilot. And you've seen more. I, so, I finished it uh, literally this like last night slash this morning as we're we're going in to talk about this. Great. So I mean, if if you want to kind of give cryptic general yeah, thoughts, yeah, on I the will. Whole, I, that's I kind fine, of and some, then we'll yeah, talk yeah, a little yeah. more specifically about the pilot. Um, yeah. So what's your what's your experience with, with uh, Boz Lerman going into this? Because I feel like that's a disclaimer. You gotta like uh, everybody's got an opinion. Of course, he's a polarizing filmmaker. I like Moulin Rouge. I love Moulin Rouge. I'd put Moulin Rouge in my top ten movies. I wouldn't put it there, but I like it, and I think that's by far his greatest success. I did not like Gatsby. Romeo plus Juliet was cool when I saw it when I was a freshman in high school studying Romeo and Juliet, but looking at it now is, like, again, a total wash to me. I just... I still I, like it. I don't like Gatsby, really. I think Gatsby's, like, a pretty movie. There are some moments, but the things that need to work in that film fall completely short, and I think when we talk about this show, I can kind of get into why I think Gatsby didn't work with the Baz Luhrmann aesthetic, because he's got a thing he goes after, and when he does his thing, it works so well. <laughs> yes, but my, you know, my biggest issue with his thing is that his movies are about the thing more than a story. And my problem is, while I like spectacle, I find that he leans into spectacle in a way that can distract from the story and the characters. And sure. that is what, when I'm not enjoying Baz Luhrmann's content, that is why. So, I mean, just kind of to give like a wash impression of this thing is like, I, I think it's pretty messy at points. And it's weird because it's a half season, but it has a pretty finite finale. But it's almost like you feel like they could have gotten that finale in the third episode. Um, not that I didn't enjoy the stuff in between because I was, I, I was pretty glued to it from start to finish. It was just like, oh, this is the show you want to make. It just took you five episodes to get there. And um, I don't know, this is the kind of stuff, though, that I want to see, where it's like, uh, it's, it's um, art that's just like an attempt at something more than anything, where it's, it's unfiltered ambition, where the biggest obstacle they have as filmmakers is, is the size and scope of the project itself. And, and uh, even if this doesn't fire on every cylinder at all points, it's going after something that most shows don't even get close to. Sure, I mean, it, it's funny I hear you saying this, because... 
this kind of feels like we're about to have the opposite to the horse and Pete conversation we had a really long time back. Sure. That was something I really enjoyed well, I mean, about funny, that show. Well, this is like maybe overproduced and that was like underdone. Exactly. But but I appreciated that show for the same reasons of it just being an artist going after something that most people are not. Um, well, I know you weren't as into the actual episodes and I was and but that I was kept still, me But watching. I still even admired his ambition. And sure. I talked about that when we talked about that show. And that, that's what I'm speaking to. And I think these things can live in that same comment is it's just... I, I've got a lot of respect for people that try to push something yeah, and um, aren't going to do what you've seen before. And this show is not what you've seen before. No, it's not. Um, I mean, if we're just going to get into it, like, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not going to knock him for trying something new. And there, there are certainly, speaking to the pilots, things that I really liked, and I'll talk to that first. The kids are fantastic, except for Jaden Smith. We can just put Jaden Smith yeah, on no, a side No, here's what plate. I'll say, though. His casting makes more sense in the spectrum of the whole season because he gets beats later on that I really enjoyed. Yeah, he just... He's playing the weird kid, though, and that's why I think it works. Is he's he, And they really lay that on harder as it goes on that he is a weird motherfucker. Like, that's fine. I just... I think something that some of the actors, Justice Morris, Shamik Moore, the girl who plays... Um, what's her name? Mylene. Yeah. Like, they're, they're all fantastic, but I think one of the reasons they're so good is that they really lean into the era. And I feel like Jaden's a kid from 2015 who just put on this costume. And he's not really leaning sure. into the environment. I do environment. think he feels a lot and more that, stiff than everybody else on the show. Right. So, th- so that bothered me. But beyond him, um, like I was just saying, I love Justice Moore in Paper Towns. and he's, Justice Smith. Ju- it's Justice Smith? Sorry. Yeah, Shamik Moore is the guy who plays Shaolin Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Justice Smith. Um, in Paper Towns, and he's even more phenomenal here. I love Shamik Moore in Dope. He's great here again. I mean, he um, gets to play the Han Solo of this world. Yeah. I mean, he is the man in this show. He's great. And, and speaking of that, I mean, I really loved the whole, like, kung fu training style and, and shit going on Grand between... Grandmaster Flash? Him and Grandmaster Flash. I thought yeah. that was awesome. It felt very, like, uh, Tarantino at times to So me. One, one thing I think we should take a sidestep to say real quick is that this show was written by Baz Luhrmann, but it was also written by playwright Stephen Adley Gerges. Oh, cool. And Nas wrote all the raps and poems and stuff. So... And as a producer on the project. So there, there's a lot of talent involved in this. And um, I think uh, the moments of performance in this piece for me are like almost transcendent at times. Where it's just like pure magic and joy on screen that you're watching happen. And uh, a lot of it is to the credit of these kids. And then also the talent behind what makes that artwork. And that's not all just Bos Lerman. That's what I just wanted to Oh yeah, totally, totally. Say that. <laughs> I, I agree. And it's, it's funny you say that. I don't want to go too far down this path but I've seen a lot of criticism being for the show like well Boz doesn't understand the rise of rap and all that so like knowing Nas and other people yeah, who well, do Gr- understand Grandmaster that. Flash helped was it yeah. like a like consultant on this project I know that like, that's just been a yeah, narrative yeah, yeah. floating around there that it, it's important that people understand that there is it's not one white guy with right one Australian white guy trying to nail down hip-hop right the voice of the people <laughs> who were there for that movement were a voice behind this project yeah um all of the musical moments are fantastic. Yeah, and here's what I'll say. If you were captivated by those moments in the pilot, it, it, that is the worst of the beautiful stuff in the show. And it takes until the fifth episode where they it, it is in one scene where you suddenly realize that all of these kids you've been watching play the side characters have just as much to offer as the leads and are like secret weapons. This is what I'm saying where it's like it drove me mad that it took five episodes for them to get to the scenes where you're like, wow, 
all these kids are superstars. Well, that leads me, though, into, like, one of my biggest complaints about the pilot, and hearing that it takes five episodes to get there makes me want to continue on less. It doesn't take five episodes to get good. It just takes five episodes till it it starts, like, flying. I hear you, but one of my biggest critiques is, while all the kids were great, their dynamic as a group wasn't as charming as, let's say, Stranger Things, which sure. just came out. And sure. so that was saying that drew me but to Stranger Things that I was missing of, here. Stranger Things, they were a group of friends. This is a group of brothers and two friends that make friends with another guy. So it's like the dynamic grows. So I, I mean, I, like, I, just I different gotcha. story. I'm just saying it, did, it didn't yeah. charm me off the bat in the way that it did with Stranger Things. Um, one more positive I want to throw in before I get to the things I didn't okay. like as much, which is like, we've said it before. I mean, Bosn, he has a craft. The guy's got an insane craft. He knows how to move the camera in these beautiful and unique ways. And, I, you know, I, I, as we were saying before, before I get into what doesn't work for me, I, I just want to say, like, the guy's got a thing and there's a reason he's where he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason we've got this much to say about it even. Like, it's, uh, he, he right. does a lot with every frame he gets. Exactly. Um, things I didn't like that are keeping me from wanting to watch the second episode. Sure. It was all over the place. The yes, pilot. yes. And like, the show is all over the place a bit. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I had a lot of trouble caring and about the story when Justice Smith, Justice yeah, Smith, yeah. when he was not on camera. I really had trouble staying in tune to what was happening and well, having any interest. In for what me, was what happening. made me sit up and start watching the show is actually when he reads that poem to his teacher. Yeah. And it's like, it's so good that it just like, it gave me chills. So I was like, okay, this is a show. Right. And, and, <laughs> and that, it gave me chills too. And there are moments of that, but it, they don't connect together in a way that inspires me to continue on. Well, so here's what's tough is the, yeah. the story splits off into, into basically what's three narrative. It's, it's Zeke, the main guy, uh, uh, Mylene, who's, who's trying to be the disco singer, and then uh, Shaolin Fantastic, who's trying to be the DJ. And he's the glue between those worlds. And, like, this is driven home with every aspect of the show. He's half black, half Puerto Rican. He's in the future and in the past. Like, every piece of his character is about the glue that holds those things together. So if that is all you gravitate towards, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because he is in most of the show. Yeah. But uh, I will say the stuff with, like... uh, Giancarlo Esposito and Jimmy Schmitz gets a lot more interesting and doesn't feel so like, oh God, what are we doing here? I can't take Jimmy Smith seriously in this. Really? I thought he was, I, it, it felt like such a cartoon. I could not take him seriously. And maybe it's because I know okay. him from all these procedurals and like what he's been known for LA law and, and all that kind of stuff as being like the stiff lawyer. But I thought he was just a total caricature, and I could not get behind any of the scenes just, he was Just in. wait, though, because there's some... I mean, I hope, I hope you stick with it, because there's some good character things behind him that make that storyline have some heart and life. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not denying that. I, I'm... Your complaints are so... This is just so funny, because like, the thing is, I don't like about this, but they're so different. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just... It left me with a really weird feeling because there were mo- I thought within the first 10 minutes I was going to be hooked and then there were like 20 minutes where I was like, what time is it? And then there's another 10 minutes where I'm really hooked and then I keep going in and out and that's just not the experience I want to have when I'm watching a show um, and I don't have the confidence that like watching another episode is going to change that for me and maybe it will and like... Maybe I'll give it a chance and I'll just, the mood will strike me one day. But right now, it feels like a burden to like go back and continue on, even though I, wow. which, which stinks because like, like I 
love these kids and I'm sure they only get better, but like, I really don't have any interest in going home and, and trying episode two. Well, so, so here's what got me down about this show a little bit is that at times I felt- Got you down? Got me down. Um, not the get down, but got me down. Um, I, I got a little ahead of it sometimes where, and this is like a, a general, I guess, critique of Boz Lerman, but it's also, uh, I'm gonna turn it into like praising him in the same way, is he goes after very generic stories. This is romance, it's Romeo and Juliet. It's, just, it, it's literally the story he's told before in Moulin Rouge and everything else, it's a romance. But no one, no director that I can even come, cl like comes close to being able to do with romance what Baz Luhrmann can do when it really works. Something like Moulin Rouge or even Romeo plus Juliet. And it's this, um, this is why I, I think it didn't work in Gatsby. It's because he's about big gestures and I, I'm poem, it's, I wrote a poem, it's, it's passion, it's spilling out of me. Gatsby is a story about a subtle, like, like a unrequited love story. And he's just not a subtle guy. So like totally the wrong thing for him, but this disco hip hop, it's in your face. So there's something about that that works for me. And here's the thing is like, I, I feel like you, there's these moments that, that you get to in the show that are like genuinely inspiring where the characters are giving birth to something. Like they're creating something. And those are the things you're talking about. Like the, the time in the pilot when they go to the get down, that is so exciting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, there. And I just think, though, that those scenes for me stand out so much more above the noise of just wash of TV that I, I would sit through, like, twice as long to get one moment like that from a show. Because uh, that's the stuff that makes me want to go make art. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, but it's also, like, I guess that's just where we disagree. Because, cause, well, I'll speak to a few things. Um, one is that I think what works about Romeo plus Juliet um, is, and some of his movies, is that he takes a story and puts it in a different time. And this feels like he's just, it, it's unclear to me when he's trying to be realistic and when he's trying to be fantastic. Wilson. And that, the, the gray area there bothers me. That, that was actually my other critique of the show is I, I'm not crazy about the massive amount of, of historical footage and archival footage that they use in this because I don't think trying to make this into a historical piece does the thing any service because Boslerm has got this thing where it's like there's an illusion of genuine through like the ultra artificial where it's like everything is so stylized and like the sets to me sometimes look like sets and like the warlords look like they're out of a cartoon. Like, and I know that they're showing real footage of guys that dress like that and stuff, but I'm like the way this is staged and the way we get into this feels so manufactured at times that I don't, I don't want it to lean on the history really because I don't need it to. I like it when it's crazy. Right, lean into that kung fu, lean into, yes, the, yes. Lean into the fantasy, and I'm totally on the same page But there. I do think the, the historical beats of like Grandmaster Flash was a real guy and like the way this came about, that stuff, is there, and I don't think you need that footage to, to drive that home. I, I agree, I think he needs to do what Tarantino does so well in Django and Inglorious, which is just like, say this is where it is, acknowledge history a bit, but then totally flip it. I agree, because I, I just feel like the the moments that that's, that archive footage comes in also seems so arbitrary, because like other directors, because he, he I know he didn't direct the whole series, um, I, I've read one thing that said he directed three episodes, one that he directed one. I don't, I don't have a solid number on that, but I know that like the later episodes, like some of those are really pointed, like this piece of a burning building, like that shot made sense there to get to the transition. 
but it feels like at a certain point they become like a sitcom device where it's like cut to the exterior and then go to this and I'm like eh. well, a lot of it at times too felt like a um, production need more than an artistic choice and it's funny we say this because so much of the conversation around this piece has been how damn expensive it was but I feel like he would have shown actually just real B-roll of a beaten down 70s train if he had a beaten down 70s train, but it made more sense to use archival footage. Um, but like, I think if it had, if he was able to have a prop that he could make glow in the way his other beautiful, poppy, less realistic images do, then those moments would work a little better. Um, the other thing I want to speak to what you just said is is the birth of this music. Um, and I kind of want to draw a comparison to vinyl for a second. I actually have two comparisons to vinyl. Yeah. Um, and one, something that really works about the Get Down that obviously didn't work about vinyl, um, which is that... It's a show that's celebrating music rather than, like, trying to dig it up from a coffin. Right. Like, because that's what I feel like Roadies does. That's what I feel like... Sex, sex drugs, and rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, they right? all so, do that. And that, that's my point. Is there was, like, this moment, like, a year ago when studio execs were like, all right, people want music content, so let's give them vinyl, roadies, sex, drugs, and rock and rolls. They want these old white guys who are trying to relive their glory days. And they were correct that people want music, but what they were wrong is on is the perspective and how the birth of... So, and yeah, now, now I'm looking... Is, those, are a, those are guys trying to like bring rock back to life rather right. than like... Uh, a movement. Here it is. Right, and now... So those don't work. What works about this and really works about straight out of Compton, um, which I think both of us really liked, is that they are talking about the rise of um, a type of music and what that did for a community at large. And that's just so much more interesting and so much more inspiring Absolutely. than what these old white guy shows were doing. Well, but that's kind of what I'm saying, though, where it's like you kind of, for me, this show is based around those live performance beats. When this character sings, when this character learns he can rap, when when uh, they finally put everything together. Like, those moments really stand out because it's almost like 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 a straight out of Compton or Pitch Perfect, how, like, you want to watch those beats where they perform over and over again. Like, I, 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 I re-watched the finale this morning because it was that entertaining. Yeah, and, and I'm, again, I'm with you. I'm not sure if I have the energy to slog through the middle stuff. Um, what I will say is, like... I have a lot of love for the middle stuff, too. Like, I love the Disco Brothers that, like, literally are villains straight out of uh, Mystery Men. Like, they're... like uh, the, Love that reference, yeah. Well, they're the Disco Brothers... Casanova are, Frankenstein? But the Disco Brothers were, like, a goofy pair that would, like, go around and do disco, but it was out of place. Now there's just, like, a disco gangster, and I'm all about it. And sure. I love Fat Annie. Like, she's a great character that is something that I have not seen in anything else. Mo all <laughs> moments where I perked up. Yeah. I, I just... Um, I really wish it went full fantasy on us, because if you're going to really do the Lerman style, you just really do it. Um, something... That. On that it's so weird though because this show in so many ways is about trying to live in two worlds <laughs> but i don't think the show should do that a hundred percent um and the other quick comparison i just want to draw to vinyl and then we should uh, kind of move on yeah is this 90 minute pilot from the creator director now i'm not a house of cards guy i know it worked when fincher did the pilot um i wasn't a huge fan of the boardwalk pilot which was scorsese, scorsese also um and i think while it might be a good draw for to get viewers into the pilot, I don't think these 90-minute direct movie director-based pilots are a good way of keeping of, of 
showcasing the show because the whole point of a pilot this is the is longest to... netflix show also like the episode average is 60 minutes not right. 50 or 55 right so like it's it's long like, yeah and, and <laughs> there's a lot and there. you really feel it in this episode in the same way that i felt it with that vinyl pilot and i i just think that the point of a pilot is to get you hooked on a vibe and a world that you're gonna basically choose if you're gonna stay in for an extended period of time and I think that it's a disservice to the point of a pilot sure. to bring in a star-studded director to basically direct a movie that's going to serve as a prequel for what the show is going to become. What, what I think is a little bit different about this one is I think the way the whole series watches is like the episode breaks or suggestions. Because the story doesn't always hit the right beat to, like, end an episode. And, like, some of them really do. Like, there's one or two where I was like, wow, that was an ending. And there's other times where you're like, Wait, wh what? Okay, next episode, I guess. Like, it's kind of something where it, it, I, I think it's it, it's like a different way to watch Netflix, but you can choose where your own breaks are. And some of those, I think, for some people, might be during that pilot because it is long, and there are there are like chapters to it. It has a few like this storyline ends, and then there's like a whole other section to it. So I don't know. They had a lot of ground to cover because the show is a bit all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I guess it's a bit of like, I don't know. What What do you want? Do you want your movies mushing into your TV or do you want your TV to be TV? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is definitely, this This more, the, more than other stuff we've seen is really the like six hour movie. Like it's, it's one movie that's six hours rather than like, because even Stranger Things, like that felt like a TV show. Those were chapters. It like, felt like a book. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A yeah. very cinematic book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this, but, I don't think will get that big. I don't think this has as broad of an appeal as that does where it was like, that's got, like, the young kids, the teenagers, and the adults. This is, like, the kids make the show. Yeah, and I, I don't think that pe people are going to have the patience for this. Um, I, I it's think also it just not everybody's cup of tea. Right. But this is what I'm saying. Like, this messy, sloppy filmmaking that leads to these transcendent beats, I would take this over anything else most days of the week. Cool. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you, you've sold me a bit more on moving on, but at the end of the day, it's like, spectacle for me does not... Trump storytelling when if there's it's, no but storytelling. It's, but here's the thing though, and this is just, I want to just clarify this before we move on. I'm not talking about spectacle though. What I'm talking about is that these moments happen that feel like genuine magic where it's like all of the emotion and all of the story leads up to a point where the spectacle has more purpose than the actual spectacle happening. And that's what makes it good. And like, that's where like things like a generic love story can really make those moments fly. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Your 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 passion is uh, is making. That's what I said. This stuff like too. this, this stuff like this, makes me want to go make art. This is what's inspiring to me. Like, that's, that's cool. I mean, it's it, also about artists, so you know, a little little cheating there, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let, let, let's move on. Yeah. Um. So, sausage party. Yeah, we saw sausage <laughs> party the other night. Very um, very different tone. Yeah. What a blast. Yeah. What a great time. It's fun time at the movies. Yeah. I, I mean. To anyone who doesn't know what Sausage Party is about, it's about um, a hot dog named Frank who and the rest of a grocery store. And well, how... A, a bun named Brenda. And a bun named Brenda, right? And how <laughs> they um, basically have this whole belief in the grocery store that when you're purchased, you're off to enlightenment. And they discover that what they're really off to is to get peeled and picked and consumed. Yep. Um, 
Brutally murdered by humans. Yeah, and Frank has to convince the rest of this grocery store of the truth. Yeah, well, I'd say it's it's like it's like two parts of it. The first part of the journey is like discovering the truth, and then the second, like the third act of the movie, is like uh, I got to get everybody to believe me. Right. I got to um, change the world. <laughs> and what I'll say at first is like Rogan and his whole team. I mean, we've we understand what they do at this point. If you're not gonna, if you don't like his brand of humor, then don't go see this movie. Um, but they really are, like, the smartest dumb people in the world. Yeah. And they lean into, like, the dumbest, most base, childish brand of humor to both have fun, but also kind of make a point on, like, belief and enlightenment. And it really is, I don't think their, like, goal is to make that point, but it kind of feels like what Pixar does on an adult scale, where Pixar makes children's movies that have an appeal and a point that can really reach adults. Sausage Party is a movie for dumb, or not dumb people, but like people who enjoy a childish humor. But there's also a message in there for people who want to take a little more out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that though, because it's like I felt like they they did a really good job of of just having this undercurrent of it's actually about like beliefs and religious tolerance. But I kind of wanted them to lean into that a little more and actually make a statement about it because they, they really they present the issues, but they don't really go after them. And I felt like the movie got to a point where it was like at a threshold of like, wow, we're really going to get racy and try and make a statement here. And it backed off from that at the last second. And that was a little disappointing to me just because I was I, I was genuinely surprised that we were even in that turf. But once we were there, I wanted it to just push that envelope as far as it was, it was willing to push all the other envelopes. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I hear you. That that di- it's a it's a light disappointment. It's like yeah. I'm only disappointed because you because it you, went there in the first. Yeah, place. yeah, yeah. Because you gave me the expectation in the first half of the movie that this could be something totally different than what I expected. Sure. Um, yeah. At the same time, like it it, it is. Uh, I still had a blast. Right. I still thought it was really funny. And it, it is like I still you appreciated have to a, that a, appeal to the heart of their viewership, which it it definitely does. Yeah, yeah. I just thought like, how crazy would it be if they were actually able to make a statement on one side of this? Uh, I was about to say on one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, for more food puns. Um, yeah. But no, I, I I just meant like if they would have taken a stronger stance with something at the end to try to say like I mean. They almost got to just saying, like, love saves everything, but they didn't go there. And it was just like, you're on the, you're on the, you're on the precipice. They kind of did, though. I mean, they, I mean, they really took some shots at religion that, um, I didn't expect going in. Yeah. I mean, I thought they were light shots, though. And I guess that's what I, like, it felt to me like the writers wanted to take jabs, not pokes. (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yes, but I think they also, like, something I really like about Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's movies is, like, they really are about fun and entertainment. So I don't think they wanted the fun of this movie to be overshadowed by the political points. I think they wanted them to be the undertones. Yeah, I'm just kind of realizing that this is kind of similar to what my critique of Preacher was, which was I was like, you guys did a really good job of making this stuff entertaining, but you're not really pushing it as far as you can. And that's kind of what, I mean, that specifically is what that, content is about but this i mean like nobody's expecting that much out of their comedies like i would like it if it was there but like (laughs) let's talk about though it's funny to say that they're not pushing boundaries 
because these guys are constantly pushing boundaries. Sorry, too. sorry, sorry. No, I meant like uh, like political boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I just I just think it's funny like what boundaries these guys are comfortable pushing and what mm-hmm. they're not. And I guess that's what I'm saying is I wish that their their uh, political statements and stuff that they're going after would match the level of crudity they're able to go for. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I can't help but bring up and think about the interview. Yeah. Though, which is like their movie that was famously banned from most theaters because of its representation of Kim Jong-un and, and North Korea. And, and then at the end of the day, that movie didn't really take many stabs at much. It went after easy jokes. I thought this movie was a lot smarter than that movie. I did too, <laughs> but I think like, yes, I, I agree with you, but, but it, it's using, um, I think it's clear how these guys feel, but they just want to use that to serve broad comedy more than make their politics the point of their pieces, and I respect that if that's what they want to do. Whether as a viewer you want it to go in the other way, that's totally fine. Yeah, but I mean, I I love that the interview kind of stirred up all that shit it did because it became this big thing of like, no, free art. Like, totally, and and I think... They can make whatever they want. Yeah, and I think there are like some... I mean, as with any... Let's talk about offensive humor for a (laughs) sec because this is a big part of this and what these guys do, and... I think um, what they do well in the interview is it's not just antagonizing North Korea, but it's pointing at how ridiculous the things they actually practice are. Um, And I think when we're getting into offensive comedy, that's the important thing to understand. Well, I mean, just check you there on actually practice, because it's like, again, it's like what the perception of it is, which is why I was saying, like, how I would have loved if if, if they had... uh, some point of view of somebody who was from North Korea in that movie that wasn't totally just like a crazy person that bought into all the bullshit. They did. They, I, the, I know. The woman. But, yeah, yeah, That was the whole was point like, of the revolt uh, at the end. But it, but it was under... The, that movie made the assumption that, like, the populace is just like, fuck yeah, to everything. And I was like, is that... That might be what it is, but... We I don't, don't know. know. That's, yeah. the, that's the whole point there. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say, and, and we'll get into bringing it back to Sausage Party, is that um, I know a lot, of, a lot of people get offended these days pretty easily. Um, yeah, we're well, in I mean, a very pisses off everybody, right? But we're in like the PC world right now. I mean, there, you have comedians like Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld saying, "I'm not going to do shows at colleges anymore because the audiences are too uptight," and things like that. So, so it's harder to push the envelope on some things. And my feelings are one: I, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm, I really don't get offended by many things. Um, if the point isn't just to poke fun at, um, to make fun of people. And I think something that these guys are really good at is is making fun of stereotypes through the way we actually view them and saying, wow, you know, what's funny about it is how dumb that our society yeah. views people in a certain way. Well, shit, man, you heard me go after Kimmy Schmidt for stereotypes pretty hard when we talked about that, but it didn't bother me in this movie because they were using that to make bigger statements about right. stuff. Right, the idea of the bagel and the lavash living in the same aisle, but yeah, they, they can't get along. Like, Yeah, they basically... Yeah, that, that I mean, th- that's the stuff I'm talking about where I was like, you use that for a larger purpose rather than just to say, this is how people are in the world. Ex- exactly. Um, and I think and that's the, great. The and accents also- aren't the joke either. That was the other thing for me. Like, Well, right. And it, it is kind of like the old adage of if you're going to offend, offend everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't really pick, pick, don't pick what you're going to do. Just like go for the general wash of how ridiculous people are and stereotypes and all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's kind of funny because it's like, 
each of these foods are manufactured in some way. So it's like the way cultures are represented feels manufactured. And that made sense to me. Everything's a brand and a label. Right. And, <laughs> and food labels are stereotypical. You've got sombreros on your salsa cans. You've yeah, got yeah, like yeah. beautiful Mediterranean people like <laughs> on your hummus. Like it's actually pretty accurate of the way food, and like hot dogs, totally the dumb American food. Like it all, ma it all makes sense. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty smart movie. I mean, I, uh, I, I just feel like it, it got to the edge of greatness for me. Like, this movie was a really solid comedy, but it came right up to the edge of being something more. Sure. Um, and maybe pushing the boundaries that we would say Matt Stone and Trey Parker yeah. push a, yes. a little more. Yes, that's a really good way to look at it. Because it's like, they were so close to doing that, but in their own, like, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg way. And then just, like, kind of came back a little bit at the end. Totally. If this was from the South Park creators, it would have gone more in the direction that you were looking for. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's important to draw that comparison because they are really the only, um, like, projects of their kind, if we're talking about South Park Team America Sausage Party, that use animation to uh, tell more vulgar adult stories. One thing that did kind of, kind of like, uh, I mean, it didn't offend me, but I was like, this is, uh, I'm glad this isn't a kid's movie. Now, I know that sounds silly, but it's like a, you know, what's the moral at the end of the story type thing. And um, I thought it was a bit uncomfortable that the way all of these people with different belief systems are able to come together is for violence. Um, it's violence before it's sex. Yeah. So I was like, that was a little bit bothersome to me. Like, uh, I, it did, I, was, I was laughing when I watched it in the movie, but then once you, like, step away from it and think about it, I was like, that's like, uh, there might have been a different way to do that. I guess so, but it's also, you could see it as them uniting to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, and in the world of this movie, it's, the, the, the real thing was make war on God. So, I mean, like... Uh, right, and, and, but what's awesome is that we're even having this conversation yeah. about a movie about a hot dog named Frank. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, and I, I just want to say, like, the, the song at the beginning... Oh, hilarious. Hilarious, but also from Alan Menken, who did Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and The Little <laughs> Mermaid. I just, like, I love that they brought in, like, the big guns to who understand the origins of this because we were saying the directors too are known for kids movies to then put like the rogan goldberg twist on top what i'm really hoping that this movie can do is kind of open the door for more animated content that isn't only geared towards kids mm -hmm. because i mean I, I was a big fan of a lot of different animes growing up and, and there's movies you can watch like grave of the fireflies which is not a kids movie but is an animated film and um, I'm pretty sure if I saw that as a kid, it would have gone right over my head because I wouldn't have understood the implications of anything they're hinting at. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the door has already been cracked open for a while, starting with South Park and then getting to something like Avenue Q, um, yeah. which was huge. And, and now it would be great if it burst open but with a movie I, like this. I'm not this. talking about just comedies. Like, I, I think there's room for other, like a horror movie that's completely animated could be way scarier than anything with real people. If, yeah. if you, I mean... One thing that's kind of great about animation is, like, the budget does not control the scale of what's happening. It, uh, like, yes, that can control how good things look, how much of it there is, but, like, 
your your imagination is where the camera goes. So like, uh, you can open up what is possible in a lot of ways. Yeah, and just to note, I think the budget on this movie was like twelve million. It was somewhere between twelve I mean, and eighteen million. It looked million. really good. I will say, and I don't think the food looked quite as delectable as Ratatouille, but it's not, <laughs> it's not the focus. I wanted no. to eat everything in that movie, and I didn't want to eat anything in this one, which is maybe the point. I think that's the point. I ate a plum after <laughs> I went to a grocery store, ate a plum, and I felt bad for the plums. Yeah. There was also that weird point of, like, they could cross dimensions with bat salts. Right, yeah. But that was, like, real science in this world. The point, right, is that you can only understand the plight of food if you are a human on bat salts. That was one where I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. I was, like, trying to... Do anything with this is not Listen, even worth you have it. To. The movie laid out its own rules and it stuck to them. Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, and I mean, that's really, I don't have much more to say. Like, I, I think if you want a good R-rated air-conditioned comedy, go see Sausage Party. If you're into food porn, and I'm yeah. not talking about photos of good-tasting looking food, <laughs> yeah. this is a movie for you. Yeah, and, and just quickly, you know, as we were saying with the low budget, it's done really well commercially. It made like $35 million the opening, which oh, good. Wow. I think matched the last year Ted did like 35 but Ted 2 had like a 60 million dollar budget real people walking Teddy talking Teddy Bear yeah, versus yeah. the all animated movie which was I know is somewhere between like 12 and 20 so really good commercial success so far for those guys yeah I, I also I'll give this movie credit for not being able to, to like they they made it seem like that package of hot dogs was going to be like your main cast from the trailer but they really weren't afraid to just like move away from that, and those guys were kind of just like the intro setup for this. And that scene of like that's that is the trailer basically of them getting slaughtered is just that it's one scene. Right. I thought it was going to be a lot more like um, them trying to like get out. It's like Toy like Story. Toys, exactly. Yeah. Toy Story when they get to Sid's house is pretty much what I thought it was going like, to be. Kind of a little bit of that story with the Michael Sarah character. Yeah. But um, the focus is the vast world of the grocery store. Which is so much cooler. So much Like, the, just them going down the liquor aisle That's and being great. a huge party. And, like, it, it's really great. And, and, again, like, I loved Craig Robinson as Mr. The, Grits. Mr. Grits, which, like, again, <laughs> leaning into a stereotype, but so he can say how pissed off he is that these crackers have been messing with him his whole life. Like, yep. <laughs> um... So anyway, the, the puns were strong with this movie. <coughs> like they, their pun game was on point. Chock full of them. Um, and, and just big shout out to Ed Norton playing the bagel. It's, yeah, it's didn't great. even know it till they say it in the movie. Like, yeah, it, it's great when they, um, you know, you know who you can expect in one of these movies. They have Franco, they have Sarah, they have Hill. But when you get to see a guy like Norton come in and just like bang out a great Woody did Allen you, impersonation. Did you hear about there was an alternate ending to this movie that screened with it at South by Southwest? No. What, uh, and I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it had to do with the food meeting their real-life counterparts. Now, I don't know if that means, like, animated person meeting live-action human or, like, animated Seth Rogen. Well, they kind of set that up for that at the end when right, they right, walked right. into that dimension, which I actually, if I do have... Uh, well, they said that they took it out. What I read was that they took it out so that they could leave it open for a sequel. Oh, that's cool. I, I did read an interview the other day where Rogan not only would want to do a sequel, but wants to do more R-rated animated comedy. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I'd be down for more of that rather than more of this, this specifically. Yeah, like, he, I, I don't need more of this. Yeah, like, he's got more to say. There's so much more he can do. Um, yeah. I mean, Goon is a project that I know is like an animated film that would be like a It'd be like a PG-13, probably not. Or it could be R. It's based off a comic book property, though. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Sean William Scott hockey movie. No, no, no. And Paul Giamatti was attached for a long time. They made a demo for it that I'm pretty sure you can find online still. And it's like, I hope that this lets projects like that come back to life. Totally. Um, I'm right there with you. Well, cool.
Yeah. Any, anything else? No, no, no. no. I, I, I think if uh, you just want a good August, like, raunchy comedy, this is it. Like, yeah. Um, we got War Dogs coming out next week, which, I, which I'm pretty interested in. It's a, it's a good little back-to-back of... Uh, there's always the R-rated August comedy that's like a wild card that no one really sees coming. Yeah, well, I feel like that's where they put the what, the stuff that they're like, we either don't know if it's going to be good or it's good, but it's R-rated, so we're holding it. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can find the Foolish Gems Filmcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Yeah, and you can watch our original series, The Fantastic of Foolish Gentlemen, at FoolishGents.com. Saying Foolish Gentlemen a lot. And um, if you want to contact us, you can do so at FoolishGents at gmail.com. We're very foolish and gentlemanly over here. Thank you, guys, and we'll talk soon.